0: This morning, we are uh, going to finish up chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 52 and read all the way to the end. Uh, So John chapter 6, starting in verse 52. Let me, uh, I'll read these verses for us. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Then he taught these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples complained about this, He said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were uh, who they were, who did not believe and whom would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said it to you that no one can come to me unless the fa- it is granted to him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, we ask that your word will change us, Father, pray that. Our faith will be strengthened and we pray that you will continue to make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So from time to time we come to some hard sayings uh, in the Bible. Uh, The term uh, hard sayings, we use it uh, really for two reasons. Um, On the one hand, some sayings are difficult to understand. So we have. It's a hard saying in that sense. It's hard uh, to understand. And on uh, the other hand, some sayings would seem harsh or difficult to accept. You see the difference. One's hard to understand. Another one's hard. We understand it. It's just hard to accept it. So there's two two reasons why we can call some things hard sayings. Well. This section of uh, scripture that we just read uh, tells us that afterwards, that many people left Jesus's ministry uh, because of this. We've learned in our studies that uh, many have come to see Jesus, and they're there because of his signs, his works, his miracles. And many of them had this certain fickleness, okay, is what Doctor Sproul described it. He described it as a as a fickleness. Um, but many who walked away were disciples, is what he says, of the Lord. And it, and it appears that afterwards, uh, after the ones hit, that left here, he's left with now the twelve. Okay, after the, the twelve. And yet, as, he, as John reminds us, one is the devil. Uh, Dr. Sproul said, I must say that many so-called disciples of Christ today exhibit the same fickleness. They profess allegiance and loyalty to Jesus until they hear Him teach certain things that they don't like. I don't know if you've ever come across anybody like that. Probably have. right? Probably along the way met uh, someone who professed to be a believer, but maybe they possessed a certain fickleness. Uh, there's a claim, allegiance to Jesus, but certain things that He said they really don't like. Um, and we pray that that's not the case with us today as we open... Uh, His word today as we talk about some hard sayings. Last week we saw Jesus say this in verse 51. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now this was Jesus' way of expounding on his earlier statement about himself being the bread of life. Well, that verse did what? It provoked even more confusion and even more controversy, because here we start here in verse 52, after those things that were said, it says, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Once again, we're reminded here that the Jews failed to understand really what Jesus was talking about. Jesus, Jesus was offering spiritual truth, and they, were, they still could not see behind the illustration that he was using they were still thinking literal flesh Um, so jesus knows their hearts as john has told us many times Uh, and so jesus knows that they're struggling with his words they know that they're having issues and so he went on uh, to give us this hard say that we see here in these verses these what we call a hard saying and this one this saying even uh, troubled his own disciples so they're, they're quarreling among themselves. How can they give us this, this flesh to eat? Verse, verses 53-58. Um, through 58. And so, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed." He used it, we talked about it last week, okay? Remember, we said the way he uses this word, uh, this word is going to describe a necessary condition. This is conditional, okay? This unless. And Jesus says what? No one, of course, last week we studied, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That was the one we we studied uh, last week, the unless condition, right? Uh, here, the condition is a little bit different. It's eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And basically, what Jesus is saying, if you don't do these things, you have no life in you. That's the unless. That's the condition. We see it in verse 53. Sure, they will they will have physical life, right? But not life in Christ. Uh, similar to uh, what God told Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember? Uh, you eat of this fruit of this tree, you will surely die. Um, did they physically die? No. They died spiritually. So the same kind of uh, difference between physical life and spiritual life. So Jesus uh, reinforces His point with a promise in verse 54. So He says it kind of in in the positive way. He says in verse 54, Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then he added uh, that his flesh was food and that his blood was drink. And so, John tells us about the response of the people, this hard saying that Jesus this, that Jesus brings. And he tells them uh, this response in verse 60. It says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Well... Let's look at two things first. Okay, let's look at, let's look at two things. Uh, first, John uses the word therefore. Of course, we know what therefore is there, uh, why it's there. Uh, that tells us that the, the disciples' response was provoked by these preceding words. So he's, what Jesus just said, these hard sayings, this is their answer because of what he said. Secondly, uh, and before we get too critical of the disciples, right? they, they, they actually made a, a good point and asked a good question. Yeah, so they, they did. It, it's, it's hard. Imagine being there and seeing the, uh, Jesus say these things. It, it, that's hard. It, wait a minute. That, that's a hard saying, isn't it? It is. And so they actually made a really good point. Um. This, this saying of Jesus that we sound these verses is it is hard. it's hard to hear it's hard to understand. Uh, Dr. Sprull said, I'm not so sure I understand it all and that was his words in his commentary I'm not so sure that I completely understand what Jesus is saying here. He went on to say if you read all the commentaries of the scholars of, of, of church history you will define a divided church upon on these verses. You'll see some camps that are, some commentators who are divided. Um, some would take the interpretation of these verses as saying that when Jesus talks about eating his, blood, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that they are talking, or Jesus is referring to the Lord's Supper. That's what some would interpret this to say. And, and that saying that, uh, and, and of course they would say that unless a person partakes of the real body, and the real blood of Christ in the sacrament then they cannot be saved. Well, we don't hold to that interpretation. We don't agree with that. Two main reasons, right? Well, at this point in time, the Lord's Supper hadn't even been instituted yet. Right? This is this hasn't even happened yet in Jesus's ministry. Uh, but more importantly, uh, if if this if he was referring to the Lord's Supper, then it would imply that it is required. You have to take communion in order to earn or in, uh, to inherit eternal life. It would be a necessary condition. Actually, taking communion. Now, does anybody see a problem with that? What's the first thing you think about if if we were to say, well, it's required. You have to take the Lord's Supper in order to go to heaven. How would you easily or, or refute that? What's the, where's the first place maybe your mind goes? Can you think of an example? Thief on the cross. That's all it's, did, did he take the Lord's Supper? No. We have no reason to believe that he took the Lord's Supper. And yet what? What did Jesus tell him? Today you'll be with me in heaven, right? So uh, Jesus is not referring to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here. Uh, Dr. Sproul says uh, that he uh, and most others agree here that Jesus is not talking about the Lord's Supper, but instead he's talking about the very same subject that he addressed uh, when he spoke to the woman at the well when he was talking about living water. Here, what we believe and that Jesus is—he's making a point here. Okay, he's making a point that he himself is the giver of supernatural life. Um, the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood metaphorically symbolize the need for accepting what Jesus's work on the cross. Okay, it's—it's it's a metaphor here. It's symbolism. Uh, Jesus is—is is referring to his sacrifice that he would offer. On the cross, um, the fact that Jesus is the living Redeemer who gives life uh, to all who put their trust in Him, and and to really and and this is again this is this is a hard thing because there's it's it's a lot of content here. It's a lot of we can we can talk about how deep this may go. uh, These words of Jesus because he's also really if you if you dig deeper into what he's really trying to say he's he's calling them to a deep commitment to himself. He's talking about eating his own flesh, drinking his own blood. He's he's he, he's telling his disciples in another way. He says, "Listen, you have to come to me. You have to be united to me in the work that I'm going to accomplish and why I'm here in the world. To me, uh, you have to feast upon me, uh, and, and you can't just have a casual relationship with me. That's that's it's kind of a, another way of of saying the, trying to make the point Jesus is trying to make here." this is he says this is this is a life a, a life altering commitment you can't just come and have a piece of me you got to have all of me you have to eat on my flesh you have to drink my blood that's life right that's the life of what he's talking about and we have to what his point is trying to make you have to join me in my life you have to become part of me which is that's a it's a hard saying isn't it that is that is hard it's not an easy thing um to say RC uh, Dr. Sproul Addy says he was calling his followers, the ones who were he's listening to, he's calling his followers to a wholehearted pursuit of union with him. A union without which there is no spiritual life. In other, in other words, um, religion won't do it. Okay? Religion is not going to earn you eternal life. Uh, church attendance won't do it. Being in church every Sunday, that will not earn you eternal life. The good works by themselves will not do it. That will not earn eternal life. That is not merit eternal life. The, the only thing that gets us eternal life is what Jesus' pointing here, is union with Christ. You remember um, before we started this series, we did that uh, Ferguson series on union with Christ. Okay, that was what a twelve-part series, if I remember right. Okay, twelve in-depth studies on this. Okay, this topic. Okay, that's how deep this is. That's why Doctor Sproul and I. Hey, this is hard because it's deep. There is a lot here, right? There is a lot when you talk about union uh, with Christ, and and um, that that uh, video series we did with with Doctor Ferguson, I thought was extremely helpful. Um. Because it just built out the depth of what we're talking about, you know. And really, when we hear, um, when when we hear this, you know, it, I, I think it it gives me pause. It gives me just to stop and look. You know, I mean, look at my life. I'm blessed to have been raised in a Christian home, been a part of this church my entire life, been here in on in worship every Sunday for my whole life. You know, but what I, I, it's possible for me to kind of rest on that sometimes. Well, I, I do all the right things, right? But, but is that what merits eternal life? None of those things by themselves do, right? Those are fruits of something else. Those are fruits of a union uh, with Christ. This, uh, this deep commitment, this lifelong pursuit. Uh, James McManus, we, we saw him at a social event last night, and we were talking a little bit about this. He talked about his own testimony when he came to Christ, and he realized that he was just playing Christian. He believed he was saved at a young age, but he found himself in college just kind of playing Christian. He said, "This, this is not, this is nothing. This profits me nothing," um, and he realized it was much deeper. This this pursuit, uh, he was. I think he, he quoted the verses from uh, Revelation about uh, Jesus talking about the lukewarm church. Right, you're neither hot nor cold. I want to spit you out of my mouth. And James was like, "That's me. I'm neither hot nor cold." And Jesus is talking about being hot for him. Okay, to use that analogy. Right, he's talking about this. You your life is in me. Your pursuit is in me. It's 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 this union that. Is going to take up the rest of our lives, the pursuit of this union. This um, not a pursuit based solely on our own work. It's obviously a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and and, and sanctification. But it does require work on our part. Okay, sanctification, right, is the the process, the order of salvation that does. It requires work on our part too. Okay, remember, we're we're co-laborers with the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification. We have work to be a part of this. Thankfully, it is Jesus who's doing the hard work. Okay, thankfully, we need to move on um, to to about this union uh, with Christ. To, to add emphasis to this, Jesus was saying, he says, you have to take all of me. It's it's like you are ingesting me, okay? Because he's using eating and drinking. That's what he's using these these words, right? It's almost like you are ingesting me. You have to take all of me. You can't just take the good parts, the parts that you like, the good, the easy parts, the things that are easy. You have to take all of me. You have to take the hard parts, even my suffering. Again, that is a very hard saying. Okay, the disciples found it hard, and Jesus knows that. Okay, they, and Jesus knows that. Verse. 61, it says, When Jesus knew it Himself that His disciples had complained about this, He said to them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you? Now, we need to look at something for a moment. And Dr. Sproul covered this in his commentary. He says, There's, there's a very important distinction within Christian ethics that we need to understand. You know, There is a difference between an offense given and an offense taken. Okay, there is a difference between an offense given and an offense taken. Many times, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we take offense at things that people would say or do when in fact no offense was given. Uh, Simply put, we don't like what someone said or what someone did. And this kind of thing, uh, or it it, it, it makes us feel uh, a little, or we may feel insulted by someone when no one one has insulted us. No one intended to insult us. Uh, This kind of thing happens in the church all the time, unfortunately. Uh, We are sometimes too easily offended by things that should not offend us uh, as as Christians we are commanded not to give offense not to do harm right that's 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 a christian living that's why right, it's an expectation right we're not to intentionally try to offend the people but the reality is as believers sometimes we can do everything right have the most honest and honorable intentions and people will still Take offense anyway. Well, what we know is that uh, no one ever spoke more perfectly or inoffensively or unoffensively than Jesus himself. Okay, we can agree with that, right? Jesus never spoke offensively. But here the disciples took offense. And so Jesus notices this. Notice also that He did not apologize for what He had said. He had no reason to apologize for what He said. Instead, He asks a question. Verse 62, He says, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? In other words, Jesus is going to ask him. He says, "What if, if you're, you're offended by what I just said?" He says. So, what if you see me in all my glory, rising up to heaven and surrounded by angels? Will that offend you? Well, of course, their answer would be no. That wouldn't that wouldn't offend me. They would not uh, be offended by that. Uh, hope that I would think we can assume they would be delighted about that to see Jesus in all his. The glory. Well Jesus is telling him here there's going to be many things that he would say that they might take offense, that would offend them. But they've all will be forgotten when? When they see his perfection made manifest. What well, what Jesus is, in, in in short, okay, Jesus is resetting their perspective here. He's 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 restoring their perspective. Their perspective is is, is out of whack here. You're taking offense on of something you should not take offense on. It's a hard saying, I get it. But there was no, no offense to be taken. And so he's reminding them of what will happen. What's going to happen? He, he's the Son of God. His glory will be made manifest. It will be revealed. And, and, and it's, it's, it's okay. Y'all are looking here, but you need to look in a different place. You need to look heavenward. right? To what I'm doing in the world. Let me, let me restore your perspective to a proper perspective. And of course, you and I are guilty of getting our perspectives all out of whack on a regular basis. When we so many times look at the circumstances of the world, we forget who our Savior is and what He's done for us, right? Our perspective is uh, self-centered. It's the here and now. It's the physical, what I can see and what I can touch. And, and, and my joy will become robbed or, or, or or threatened. And I need my respective, my perspective restored. I need to remind myself, who, who is, what has Jesus done for me? Where is he today? What are all the things, uh, that has been accomplished on my behalf? Uh, Jesus is victorious and I need my, my perspective restored. I need to remind myself of that. When Jesus went on to tell them, some other vital things as well. He says in verse 63, He says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Now, it's important to note here that Jesus is not talking about His own flesh. Okay, It might be easy to think about that because He's just been talking about that, right? He's... Just been talking about uh, the the flesh and his blood, but he's he's not talking about his own flesh here. He's talking about our flesh, okay? That's what that's what he's talking about. Specifically, he's talking about the flesh of fallen humanity. That's what he, that's what he's that's what he's referring to. If you remember, in chapter three of John, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus that unless, I use that word unless unless again, unless unless a person is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He went on to say in the next verse, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He was was telling Nicodemus what? He, He was telling Nicodemus that flesh in and of itself cannot produce spiritual fruit. Okay, the flesh in and of itself cannot produce spiritual fruit. Uh, The fact is, in our fallen state, in our natural state, uh, the way we come into this world, right, until God acts upon our lives, uh, our fallen state, we cannot do anything that pleases God. We cannot do the things of God. We have no desire to please God. We have no inclination towards the things of heaven. That is because we are spiritually dead until, right, we're all in that state. Until, unless, God by His Holy Spirit does what He makes us alive, and when He makes us alive, He changes the dispositions of our hearts, which were previously pure flesh. Um, and but He changes us. Uh, he changes that, and He gives us hearts for Himself that can see the things of God for the first time, and then can have a desire for His things. It reminds me of uh, over in Ephesians. You know, to turn there, Ephesians 2, uh, 4 through 10. But God. Two wonderful words, right? But God. And that, consider your fallen nature. Consider, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. I cannot, I have no desire to be with the body. I have no desire for the things of God. I am destined for hell forever, for judgment. And it says, but God. Two amazing words in Scriptures, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. There's that union, right? He's been talking about that union with Christ. We are made to sit together with Him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Christ, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Here's that union again. In Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, not of church attendance, not of tithing, not of any of those things, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ, in Jesus Christ, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man. You see that? In His flesh. Eating His flesh. Drinking His blood. In Christ. In union with Christ. Who, who did that? God did that. Did we do that on our own? We did not. We did not choose that. God, who was rich in mercy, saved us, made us alive. If, back to our talking about our perspective, right? Right? having our perspective uh, corrected, if today, if, if we, if you, if I, if we are resting in our own strength, in our own righteousness, right? If we're resting in that, then we have missed what Jesus is teaching here. We have completely missed it. Because in our flesh dwells no good thing, as Paul tells us in Romans. Your flesh alone he said, Jesus says, your flesh profits nothing. Your flesh alone cannot get you into the kingdom of heaven. It will not happen. It is the Holy Spirit who brings life. And that's what Jesus' point here. He, The Holy Spirit brings us and raises us from spiritual death. Any, any questions up at this point? We have some more to go, but we've kind of hammered on a lot of important things. Any questions or comment right here at this point? I want to pause just for a moment. Anybody? It's hard sayings. Y'all just got it, right? Y'all good. I'm that good a teacher. I know that's not true. <laughs> I know that's not true. It's a hard saying. It's okay, right? That it's a hard saying. Anything? anybody have a just a burning question or comment? Okay. So, Jesus goes on in verse 63 he says, The words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life. How does, we've, we've said this, y'all know this, again, you're good Presbyterians, you know the answer to this question. How, how does the spirit make us alive? What does it use? What is the instrument that's used? Go ahead, somebody say it out loud. He uses the what? Say it out loud. Word. The word. Thank you, ma'am. He uses the word, right? He uses. His words. What is he saying? He says, "I speak to you, and sp- the words I speak are in spirit, and they are life." So the very words of Jesus. Okay, the very words as contained in the sacred scriptures. That's how the spirit makes us life. It is through the word. Where does our faith come from? It comes by hearing. Right. It comes by hearing what? The word. Okay. It comes by hearing. The word God uses the word He uses the word of God as we find in our sacred sacred scriptures. He uses that to change the dispositions of our soul. We, when when God does, when the Holy Spirit does a work, and we hear the truth and contained in the scripture for the first time after God has made us alive, we go, wow! It, I understand it, and I see it. Right? I'm not I'm not hidden by I'm not hidden from it. I understand it. And when you think about the words that Jesus is speaking. Okay, this is this is the Son of God in the flesh, using words, right? That again, that condescension. He's come down to us. He's using audible words that human ears can understand. Right? Which is amazing that he did that, right? So that but that same power, these words that he's speaking, the same power, the audible, the spoken word of God is what? It also brought the universe into existence. Same words. The words of life, the words of God, the words that's contained in the scripture. It did what? It brought everything that's here into existence. That same power makes people alive. The same word. Isn't that amazing? The words of Jesus. Uh, finally, Jesus just decided, he, he is blunt with his hearers, okay? He's, he's blunt here in verses. 64 to 65, he says, But there are some of you who do not believe. This is John's commentary. For for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come come to Me unless it is granted to him by My Father. Here is that doctrine of predestination again. Right? It's it's what is Jesus? He reminds him, no one can come to me unless it's been granted by my Father. Jesus knows that some of his followers in the crowd are not believers. He he here again for the, those to hear. He makes it very clear that they could not believe or follow him unless the Father takes action first. God has to act first. And it's at this point that, after these just straight to the—I mean, just the, the fact Jesus just being blunt—he was just this is the way it is. It was at this point that that was just the last straw for some of them. They had heard everything that they could take, and it says in verse sixty-six that from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more on a human perspective how incredibly sad is that to be walking and learning and listening to the very son of God in the flesh who his words were life the very words that he spoke were the words of life yet they came to this and they could not take it anymore and they walked away never to return the 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 language here in this verse indicates that this abandonment the way they left was was decisive and it was final they never came back to him Jesus has watched these these false disciples if you want to call them that if we can call them that who had taken offense at his teaching and he asked him point blank that he, he knew it was in their hearts this is a venue didn't apologize for it because there was no offense to be given. And so he turns now uh, to the twelve and he says in verse 67, he's left with the twelve, many have left. And he asks them this question, do you also want to go away? Hmm. Hmm. Very serious question. And then we have Peter's confession here as we find in verse 68 and 69. It says, But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice also in Peter's response that he he didn't deny that jesus 's teaching was hard he didn 't say, "Oh we got that that's easy." he didn't say that well um, Lord, to whom shall we go? Wow, to whom shall we go? You know Peter, as we've talked about Peter uh, and, and some other studies, uh, he gets some things right and then he, he messes some things up sometimes uh, here, in the second half, he says, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ. Now, you think about what Peter just said here a minute and what Jesus has been teaching. It's, um, I think I read this in MacArthur's study Bible. He says, you know, Peter's words here are somewhat pretentious. You think about it. Because he's implying... That uh, the true disciples, these others had left, and we're the twelve. We somehow had some sort of spirit uh, superior uh, insight, and we came to believe. Uh, you know, it, we came to believe uh, because of that, because we're just we have better knowledge, and we came to this knowledge that you were the Christ. What what's Jesus just been teaching? You, you came to me because the Father drew you. Nothing. You didn't do anything. Is Jesus's point right? They didn't. They didn't. They didn't come to believe on their own, right? That that didn't. That didn't happen. But but he did say some really amazing things. He says what? Jesus's words were the words of life. And he's right. Your words. You have the words of eternal life, and he's he's right. And and he is. Telling, he had nowhere else to go. Where else would they go? Have Have you ever been tempted? Uh, this is a question Dr. Sproul posed. Have you ever been tempted to leave? And the, Jesus, that's what we're talking about. Have you ever been tempted? Jesus Jesus asked him, do you all also want to go? This is hard stuff, Jesus was saying. Very hard sayings. A lot of people are leaving. And he looks at his close band of brothers. Do you also want to leave? Because it's about to get hard. Have you ever been tempted to leave? Probably so if you're honest, with each other, right? But then those words from Peter, but where can I go? Where else can I go? Who else has the words of life? Anybody? You're all good students of world history. Um, You look at uh, the other uh, religions of the world. Does Muhammad, does he have the words of life? Go, go to Allah. Does He have the words of life? The, the, does, does, is jihad the answer to our problems? Religious, holy war? Is that where life is? We know that's not the truth. Jesus is the only one who has the words of life. And there's only one place to get them. And He is the one, Jesus, who gave His life that you and I might live in those words and have union with Him. Hmm. the last couple of verses we'll finish up 70 and 71 Jesus answered them did I not choose you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil he spoke of Judas Iscariot the son of Simon for it was he who would betray him being one of the twelve now we're just this is in response to Peter's words what did Peter say we have come to believe what is Jesus is correcting and very nicely did I not choose you you didn't choose me I chose you. So this is, in one way, Jesus is, is correcting uh, that the Paul's or Peter's, maybe his incorrect assumption, right? He's, 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 he's saying, listen, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I, I chose you. Hmm. Jesus, at this point, Jesus is correcting uh, Peter. He, he wouldn't even allow, I think this was also in the Carpenter Study Bible, a whisper of human pretension when it comes to God's sovereign election. Jesus reminds him very quick. I chose you, Peter. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Our time is out. The bell has rung. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for our time this morning. Father, as we come to hard sayings, Father, may it be um, that we wouldn't be tempted to leave You when the when things get hard. Father, we thank You for loving us. Father, we thank You for choosing us. We thank You for Your sovereign election in our lives and taking effect in our lives. Father, continue to, to help us each and every day as we grow in grace and we grow more like Your Son. And Father, give us that peace and understanding as we walk with You day by day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.